Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, if you would, and you'll see why. One of the verses we're looking at this morning is looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But Hebrews 12, we're going to look at verse 1 and 2. Excuse me, the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. This morning I'd like to preach to you this morning a challenge to finish the race. Challenge to finish the race. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your privilege and opportunity that we have to open the word of God, the word of the living God that has been passed down through the ages, preserved for us by your churches that have been faithful, many who have given their lives for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So we can have it today to study, to show ourselves approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we can have this testimony of those that have gone before us who encourage us to finish our course with joy. So Lord, as we look into the word of God today, I pray that we'd open our hearts and minds, we'd allow the spirit of God to teach us, to instruct us, to challenge us, and, Lord, even to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. Have your will and way. May you be glorified. And I pray that you'd help me to bring forth the word of God as you've given it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, many times in history books we read accounts of people who did great acts of heroism, And we are encouraged and challenged by the story of their lives. You know, Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 is that kind of thing. It's encouraging us of our life's course, in our life's course, and that victory can be ours through our Lord Jesus Christ. After all, we have a record, a written record. Hebrews 11 is a written record of those who have run their course of those who have finished their course and are now waiting until the last victory lap is finished and the trumpet shall sound and the Lord will say, come up hither to us. And we will be forever with the Lord. But until then, the admonition is run your race. Run your race. You know, we have a race to run. And what we've been looking at the last several weeks is, again, a record of those who have run that race who encourage us. In this book about the Waldensians, Brother Ted Alexander makes this statement. God not only wants his people, quote, God not only wants his people to look upon martyrs, look at his martyrs. He intends to use their testimony in the lives of believers. These martyr stories are given in Hebrews 11 to demonstrate true people of faith. Believers are expected to look at these people of faith and be challenged in their own faith. 
God's people should read Hebrews 11 and see what it truly means to stand for God and then prepare themselves for the possibility of a coming persecution in their own life. If persecution ever comes to the readers of this text, may it be known that the devil and his minions are no respecter of persons. And please remember that, <coughs> remember, dear reader, that history has taught us that women and children are tortured right along with preachers, men, and boys. The author will continue to preach and on the sacrifices of the martyrs to prepare this soft generation to face a deadly evil that may await the Lord's churches just around the bend. Our children should know that there once lived people who gave their lives and their all for Jesus Christ. Maybe then they will realize the great worth that must be placed on true faith. You know, and he says also in, in, in a uh, previous book, you know, some people accuse him saying, if you talk about the martyrs, you're worshiping the dead. But he said, again, challenges us. Hebrews 11 here tells us, wherefore we are also compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. He's referring to those of chapter 11. And he really what he's saying is, look, these finished their race. These gained the victory. Be encouraged. Run your race as they did. So as we consider this point, I want to notice three things at end of a few subpoints. First of all, the test well look first of all, the testimonies of those who have finished the race in victory. In verses one verse one, it tells us we have a multitude of those who were victorious in life. In verse one it says, Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. The, the word compassed about means we're surrounded and, you know, with, with the, you know, and the picture here is like a stadium or in, in, uh, in Bible times, and I believe, I believe that Paul wrote this. We don't really know for sure who wrote this book of Hebrews, but, but I believe Paul wrote it. But Paul was probably thinking about the amphitheater, you know, sort of like our stadiums today. And, and, and you know, people crowd in, that, in the stadiums and, and they just, they, they're surrounded, the athletes are surrounded by people, by spectators. And the idea here is we're surrounded by a, as it says, so great a cloud of witnesses. That word so great means many, large, so many. The word cloud speaks of mass or masses of clouds, a large, dense multitude of witnesses. Now you might say, well, preacher, don't you know the Bible says there are going to be few that find the straight gate? Yeah, I do know that. But understand, though a minority of humanity received the truth of the word of God, but think about all humanity throughout the 6,000 plus years probably of civilization, how many people would have been in existence? There were probably billions if not trillions of people that were in existence prior to the flood already. And the millions and billions and trillions of people that have, that have since lived. And the Bible tells us in, in Revelation that there's going to be a great multitude of people in heaven. In fact, if you look at Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8, Revelation 5 and verse 8, there's a, John sees a scene in heaven, and in verses 8 through 12, he writes, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts, 
and the four and twenty elders, and I believe those twenty at four and twenty elders refer to the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints, the twelve tribes of Israel and the twelve apostles. You got twenty-four, I think that, and so I think it's representative of Old and New Testament saints here. They're in heaven together, and it says, and they fell down. Before the Lamb, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of overs, which is the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and heard a voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was... 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Now, I don't consider myself to be a math scholar. However, if my math is correct, 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million. And then it adds to that thousands of thousands. You know, John was trying to describe what he saw. And I believe what he's saying to us is there was such a multitude of people they could not be counted. And they're around the throne in heaven along with the angels. You see, there, there are a multitude. And as he describes here in Hebrews 11, he goes through all the way back to Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel is basically where it starts with. And he goes all the way up to the New Testament, at least New Testament times, and maybe prophetically into uh, in, into this last uh, two thousand years, he's describing people who have been victorious in their life through Christ, have finished their race. And so there's a multitude, a great multitude. Well, you know, the second thing about this, this, these, the testimony of these is. The characteristic feature of the victors. In verse 1 again it says, Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now that word witnesses speaks of one who testifies for. The Greek word is martus. Where we get our word martyr. Martyr. Now, did all these people described in Hebrews 11 die a martyr's death? And the answer is no. No. But what we do see is people who risk their lives, their fortunes, and their honor for the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like in the Revolutionary War, or the War for Independence, I prefer to call it. You know, our founding fathers, they said they would risk their, their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. They knew that their heads had tar- that were, were, were targeted. And some of them lost their lives as a result of it. But not all. But what we do see here in Hebrews chapter 11 is that we see many that were not martyred. However, they did risk their lives. The first one, Abel, he lost his life. He was martyred. 
But Noah, Noah, who opposed the whole world. I mean, you you talk about a separatist. He opposed the whole world. There was nobody that stood with him except his own children. That was it. Isn't it kind of amazing they didn't kill him? You know, they just thought he was this crazy, mad old man up there building a boat where there was no water and it never rained before in the the entire uh, civilization. What is this crazy old man doing? Did he not risk his life to bring a message that God was going to judge their sin if they did not repent? Certainly he did. Moses risked his life to refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Although it did not cost him his life. However, really, it did. He had to give up everything that life had to offer from this world. Joshua risked his life many times going to war against greater armies than those of the Hebrews. And, and we could say that of all these, you know, in Daniel's, you know, the, the, if we read through all these, and it talks about Gideon, Gideon risked his life with 300 men to take on a multitude as great as the sand as the sea. You know, those, these three Hebrew, Hebrew young men risked their lives. They really gave up their lives. In fact, Daniel 3.28 speaks of them, and it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies. You see, though it didn't cost them their lives, they did yield their bodies. They were willing to give up their lives. To be true. To their Lord. So technically they weren't, were not martyrs. How they, however, they had died to self. They had died to self. Years before Paul was martyred, he said, I am crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. In Hebrews 11, verse 35, one of the statements it makes concerning many of these people is not accepting deliverance. Not accepting deliverance. You know, that does not mean they did not want to live. It means they would rather die than deny their Lord. They would be faithful in testimony. Was more, to be faithful in testimony was more important than a job, more important than relationships, more important than family, more important than money, more important than life itself. That's what it means. As a young Waldensian wife encouraged her husband in saying, Fear not them which can kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, the characteristic feature of these witnesses is they gave up their lives for Christ. Just as Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth. 
in me. You see, they were willing. They willingly gave up their own lives to follow the Lord. To follow the Lord. That was the characteristic feature of the victors. That sounds like defeat, doesn't it? But that's the characteristic feature of these victors. They gave up their lives. You know, think about it. If you're going to be a professional athlete, what do you have to do? You have to give up your own life. You know, there was a, there was a guy, and I'm trying to remember his name. I just read this. This has been quite a few years ago, so, you know, I've forgotten it, the details. Not that I'm forgetful or anything, but there was a guy who was a basketball star. He was a first-round draft pick, expected to be a, 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 you know, an all-star player. He only lasted like two seasons. And you know he said? I partied myself right out of basketball. See, he wasn't, wasn't willing to deny himself what he wanted, what, what, what was fun and enjoyable and pleasant to the body to be a professional athlete. If you're going to win the gold medal in the Olympics, you're going to give up a lot of things in life. You're going to have to sacrifice your own life and, and train and train and train to get that which you desire, to be a victor. And again, this is the characteristic feature of these witnesses. Secondly, the essential requirements to finish the race. If you notice again in verse 1, I want to notice a couple of things here. First of all, there is a race, a course set for your life. In verse 1 it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us... Lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, we're obviously, he's writing here to people that he believes are saved. And what he's saying to us is that every one of us has a course set for our life. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, Paul would say, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. God had given a course for Paul's life. He was to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to kings, and he was to suffer for his namesake. And Paul said, I, am, I, am, I don't count my life dear because I want to finish the course that God has set for me. My life doesn't mean anything. It's not important. And he would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, writing his last will and testament, knowing that he's about to leave this life. He's about to be martyred. And he would say in 2 Timothy 4, verses 5 through 8, Watch thou on all things, adore inflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, not to me only, but unto all them also that love 
his appearing. He would say, I, I have finished my course. And, and the Lord's going to take me out of here. My life's over. And you and I have a course to live, a race to run. And no man can interrupt that race unless God allows it. You know, they had tried to kill Paul many times. But they were not successful. And those many times because his course was not finished. But you and I have a course to run. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, he told Timothy that who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now, we, we do not all have the same course or the same race. There are some similarities. There are some things that are all characteristic of our race. But we don't all have the exact same course. Remember in John chapter 21, Peter, the Lord is addressing Peter and appointing him to be the pastor when, when he leaves, when he ascends back to heaven. And he tells Peter you know, that you know, when you were young, you basically this is Byler's paraphrase, when you were young, you did what you wanted, you went where you wanted and did what you wanted. When, you, when you're old, they're going to take you places you don't want to go. And he spake this, signifying by what death he should die, glorifying the Lord. And after he addressed Peter, he said, Peter said, looking at John, what shall this man do? And the Lord said to him, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Hey, hey Lord, what's his course? Is he going to have to give his life? And Jesus basically said, Peter, that's really none of your business. You run the course that I've set for you, and you've let John run his course. See, we don't all have the same course. We know from history tells us that Peter was martyred. It's believed he was crucified upside down. John suffered persecution. He was boiled in oil, but he died a natural death. He was banned with the Isle of Patmos. He suffered for the Lord, but his course was different. You know, all of us who are saved have a God-given purpose. You know, some of those things that we're, you know, all of us say should be, you know, part of that course is to be baptized in the New Testament Baptist Church, to serve the Lord in His church. We can be challenged in growth to witness to the lost you meet in your world in which you live, in which you work, uh, to work, to earn a living and support the ministries of the church, the pastor, the operating expenses. You know, all of us can say that is a general responsibility we have. And, and, and the church's corporate effort to take the gospel into all the world, both here and abroad. You know, and some of us will run a race in ministry. We'll be pastors, evangelists, missionaries. Others will have a course that God's desire to direct us in that, you know, we should work and earn a living and give to the church. Whatever course that is, we're to seek to finish that course. And I notice also, we see here, we must condition ourselves for our race. 
We have to condition ourselves for our race. In verse 1, again, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know, if we're going to condition ourselves for this race, we have to lay aside every weight. We need to put off anything that hinders our running, our race. You know, every weight is to be thrown off. You know, a runner, he, he, he watches his diet, he exercises, you know, he, he strengthens his lungs and his heart so they can have the greatest endurance in that race. He disciplines himself. But, you know, one of the first things he does is he, he trains. So any weight, a weight refers to something that's prominent, it's a bulk, a mass, a burden, an encumbrance, has to be thrown off. If we're going to run our race effectively, it has to be thrown off. You know, Zacchaeus, you know what was a weight to him? His wealth. He had to throw it off. His desire for wealth. He told Jesus, I, if I have taken anything, I will restore it for he didn't have to quit being a tax collector what he had to be was an honest one an honest tax collector you know Abraham it was required of him that he left his family error of the Chaldees family and friends can be an encumbrance to us many times what will they think what will they say you know, what is it that's holding you back, weighing you down, making you sluggish in the race? It may not be something that's necessarily wrong in itself, but it could be something that's dragging you down. He says also, the, the sin which does so easily beset us, the, the sin which skillfully surrounds us and prevents you or slows your running, it can be a habit, a security. Something that you want to hold on to that you're not willing to give up because you're afraid. We're to look unto Jesus. Abraham had to give up his security of Ur of the Chaldees and he went out to a place that he, he knew not of. See, all this requires patience. He says we're to run our race with patience. That, that speaks of endurance. You know, a person who runs a race prepares themselves, and one of the things he prepares himself with is knowledge. You know what he does? He educates himself in his race. You know, a runner, he's going to study and learn how to be the best runner he can possibly be. How to eat right, how to do the right exercises. He's going to learn all that. How to pace himself when he gets on the track. I remember when I was in high school. High school. I think it was middle school, actually. I was probably in sixth sixth grade, I think. And we had a track and field day. Something I never cared for. I didn't like track and field. But anyway, I remember this one race. There was four guys running in this race. One of them's name was Chris. 
who live not too far from where I grew up. And, you know, they, they shot off the start gun and they, they took off. And Chris didn't run very fast. And he was behind. He was the last guy for about half the race. Then all of a sudden, Chris started speeding up. He started beating up. And by the finish line, he had passed every runner ahead of him. You see, he had learned to pace himself. He had studied how to finish that race, how to endure. He had studied. You know, it requires education. That means we have to put time and effort into learning how to run our course. You know, if you're going to raise birds, you've got to have some, you've got to educate yourself in how you're going to purchase chicks or where they're going to get eggs and hatch them. About feeding and watering and, I hate to say this, but you're going to have to learn about climate control for those birds. Disease. Birds get disease. Contracts to sell them, cost versus sale price to make a profit. All these things you have to study and learn. If you're going to be profitable in selling birds, that's why I don't sell birds. You know, if you're going to work in the city of Raleigh, if you're going to be in construction, whatever you're going to do, you have to have some knowledge. If you're going to be do well at it, you have to learn about what it is you're doing. You know, if you're working in construction, you must know building codes, building materials, etc. You know, if you're going to be a mother, a wife, or a husband, you need to educate yourself. Have some knowledge about what my responsibilities are before the Lord. And to be a witness for the Lord, you have to have some knowledge of the Bible, the person of Christ, understanding of sin. This is all knowledge. And then we must train. You know what training is? It's practice, 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 practice. It's discipline, putting into practice what we know. You know, if you're going to be proficient in firearms, handling of firearms and firing firearms and self-protection, all these things, one of, the, one of the things they tell you is, you know, the instructor, instructor will tell you, what to do, and then let's practice it, practice it, practice it, practice it, until it comes naturally. You know, I'm reading a book about Iwo Jima. And they trained and trained and trained those soldiers so that when they got on that island, they would just do naturally what they wanted them to do. They wouldn't have to stop and think, now what do I do? Because the ones that stopped and thought got shot. But the, one that had, the ones that had been trained and trained and trained, they knew exactly immediately what they needed to do when they were put in that position of danger. And they just did it. You see, if we're going to run our race, this is what's required of us. You know, it requires effort on our part. This is Paul spoke of this in many places in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He writes young Timothy, 
And he says in verse 11 through 13, These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth. Be thou an example of the believer in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. Till I come, give attendance. No, you need to pay attention, Timothy, to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. And verse 15 says, meditate. In other words, you need to think about these things. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. That thy profiting may appear to all. If you want to profit people in your race, you have to give yourself to that race. You have to put effort and time into that race. Just as you would a business. 2 Timothy 2.15 He tells Timothy to study, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And the thing that we have to lay aside to make this possible is the body. The desires of the flesh. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians, and this was the key to his success in the ministry and all the trials and tribulations and the hardships that he suffered in 1 Corinthians 9 verses 24 through 27 know ye not that they which run in a race run all but one receiveth the prize so run that ye may attain and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown but we incorruptible I therefore so run not as uncertainly, so fight I. I know what my course is, and I'm not running here uncertainly. I know what the will of God is for my life. And so he says, so, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I should preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. See, he said, I bring my body into subjection so that I can finish my course. That basketball player, the reason he flopped out, he had high expectations. There were high expectations of him. He was a star waiting to be born. You know why he flopped out? The desires of the body. He wouldn't deny his body. He wanted to party every night. So often... We fail in our race because we're unwilling to deny the body. See, all this requires a sacrifice of self, a willingness to deny ourselves and take up his cross and follow him. But I want you to notice a third thing here, and this is the most important. And this makes it all possible. A successful run is really living in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you notice in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking. That word looking means to turn one's eyes on. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full. That's a good description here. Look full in his wonderful face. It's to fix one's mind on. It's to have a fixed on him. Again, this speaks of 
continuous action in present time. It's not something you just do and it's done. No, it's something that continues throughout your race. Throughout your life. You have to continue to look unto Jesus. You know, we should always be thinking about the will of the Lord in every situation. In every decision. Too many times we don't have a faith realization of the presence of the Lord. We may study about Him and think of a time when we will have fellowship with Him in heaven, but that's not the Christian life that God intends you to have. God expects you to have fellowship with Him right now. Right now. In fact, in 1 John chapter 1, John wrote concerning this, where he said in verses 3 through 7, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, if we walk in the light of God's Word, we are in fellowship with Him. But if there's sin in our life, we are not in fellowship with Him. If self gets in the way, we are not in fellowship with Him. In John 14... Verses 21 and 23, he says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them. In other words, he bathes them, he keeps them. He it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself unto him. And that word manifest means I will show myself, I will exhibit myself to his view. You see, when we keep his commandments, we walk in obedience to the Lord, the Lord shows himself to us. He reveals Himself to us. We walk in His presence. Verse 23 of John 14, Jesus answered and said unto him, If man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. The idea of abode means really to live with, to dwell together. To dwell together. You know, this is, this is the life of these witnesses that are spoken of in Hebrews chapter 11. This was the life of the martyrs. The life of Paul. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. He lives in me. His presence is with me through His Holy Spirit. He liveth in me. You know, he was in continual fellowship with the Lord. God, the Lord revealed Himself to him through His Word. And again, this, this again requires a laying aside of every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace, in your hearts to the Lord. And so, a successful run requires living in the presence of the Lord. After all, He is the author and finisher of our faith. The word author means He's ruler 
or originator. It all originates with him. He's the leader. Thus the example, the predecessor, the one who has gone before us and run his race perfectly. And we know we're not the Lord. But his example and in, in his uh, authorship enables us to run our race. The word finisher means perfecter. In other words, he, he perfected it. Jesus in his own person raised faith to his perfection and has set before us the highest example of faith. And I want you to notice something here. He is the author and finisher of our faith. So he is the originator of our faith. He is the finisher of our faith. The author and finisher of our faith. Now, I'm going to make a statement here. That some of you are going to go, oh, wait a minute. No one will get to heaven and hold up their faith and say, my faith got me here. That would be worse. It is the author and finisher of our faith that will get us to heaven. And it's the author and finisher of our faith who gives us success in our race now. Notice, go to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. I hope I can make myself very clear here. Galatians 2, verse 16. Paul's challenging Peter. And he says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Peter. You say that? No. It's not justified by our faith. We're justified by the faith of Jesus Christ. And he says that twice in this verse. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. And not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So two times he says we are justified by the faith of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 3 and verse 22. Romans 3 and verse 22. And it says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, upon all, and unto all, and upon all them that believe. So we believe in the faith of Christ. It's our belief in the faith of Christ that saves us. And our belief is not a work. We're not getting to, you know, I, I've had people say to me, well, I just have faith. I just have faith. Faith in what? Your faith won't get you anywhere. It's who your faith is in that makes a difference. So your faith is in. Romans 10.4 says that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. It doesn't say your faith is the end of the law. So in other words, your faith doesn't save you. It's the righteousness of Christ. It's the faith of Christ. We simply accept or trust or depend upon. It's not my faith that gets me to heaven. It's my receiving of the work of Christ. 
You see, some people put forth faith as if it's what I have done. It's simply a gift of God. Too often people will say, I wish I just had more faith. You know that's not the problem. Jesus said if you had the faith of the grain of a mustard seed, you could say this mountain move and it would move. Now mustard seed is the smallest of seeds. Faith is not the problem. You know what the problem is? Surrender. It's submission. That's the problem. And submission is really, it's like repentance. It's not a work. It's an attitude. It's a thought process. It's a change of mind or change of mindset, which brings about, results in a change of works, a change of action. You know, that is why Peter said in Acts 2 to the, to the, to the Jews on that day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized. In other words, you need to change your mind, and then you need to prove your change of mind by submission. Baptism is a symbol of submission. It's an act of the will. And that's what baptism really pictures. You see, Jesus' example of faith is that he submitted himself to the will of the Father. He endured the suffering, the humiliation of the cross, being despised by the people he created, but for whom he was dying for. He he despised the shame. He died as as one guilty. He was publicly disgraced, the Son of God, the creator of heaven and earth, publicly disgraced, but by doing so, he finished his race. And is set down at the right hand of God. And he is saying to you and I, my act of faith. In other words, I trusted in my heavenly father and his will for me. And I submitted myself to it. And I was willing to die. And believing that he would resurrect me from the grave. My act of faith will enable you to run your race and finish your course. You see, it's not. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved. So, it's, again, we're saved by the unmerited favor of God through faith. That faith there simply means we trust in. We put our dependence in. That's it. It's sort of like you could, you know, you come in this morning and you sat down on a pew. And really what you did is you rested yourself in the pew, putting your dependence on that pew, that it wasn't going to go crash. It was just a dependence, a resting in. Your rest is opposite from work. But it's the faith of Christ, the work of Christ that saves us. See, you and I have set before us many examples, many witnesses who endured their race. And we have the promise of reward, everlasting joy and pleasures at the end of our race. 
You know, the psalmist said in Psalm 16, 11, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day. And not to me only. I'm not the only one that's going to get this crown of righteousness. It's unto all them that love, that run their race, trusting in, resting in their Savior. See, how are you running your race? Are you dependent upon your own strength? Or are you dependent upon the strength that Christ gives you? You know, what will you endure to finish your course? What will you submit to to run your race? What cross will you be willing to bear for the testimony of Christ as others have before us? Will you give up your life for the life of Christ in you? you know, do you have the presence of God in your life? Do you have the assurance of Christ as your Lord and your Savior. You, are you trusting in Him? Have you trusted Him as your Lord and Savior? And are you trusting or depending upon Him to give you the strength, the victory? We have a great cloud of witnesses. Many have gone before us. And they are encouraging us. They are challenged to us in our day it can be done. Christ can enable you. Just give up. Just give up your life to him. And he will see you through to victory.